You guys sang well today. Thank you very much. It always encourages the worship team when you participate. Today we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. Verse, uh, we're going to start in verse 1 in just a second. So I'd like to start with a few things. Sorry, I think I'm really trying to catch my breath. You know, being a Christian, <laughs> Justin did all the work on that one. Being a Christian can be tough, especially in the beginning, especially when you first come to Christ. And so today that's what we're going to talk about is how to move that, that faith journey from that initial difficulty, because it is tough, into something that's a little bit more natural, something that's going to help you actually grow and move forward. So when we talk about that toughness, I mean, you're talking about when you come to God, you're really entering a whole new world, and not in a Disney way, in a, like a real way. And a new understanding of the world in which you live. And so the Bible presents these, an entirely new framework by which to interpret life. An entirely new interpretation, interpretation of the events and the circumstances in your life. An interpretation where God is sovereign, he's in control, and he loves you, but you live in a world that's at war. And so trying to embrace and understand all of that at first is very difficult, very exciting at first. I mean, when you get baptized and you begin to enter and start, start walking the new life, it's awesome. And you start having relationships and community with people that you didn't think you could ever have any kind of community with. So that part's great, but it is a challenge because God greatly expands our understanding in the world in which we live. So what makes it, another thing that makes it a little bit more challenging is the fact of how we approach it. Typically we try and initially approach God by serving him and living for him. And the problem with that thinking is it comes entirely from our own strength. We try to be good. We try to be righteous. We try to do the right thing. We try to go to church and have Christian friends and use less profanity and go to work more faithfully and drink less coffee. I'm just kidding on the last one. <laughs> so we try and move in those realms. And, but the problem is it's coming out of our own strength. And the challenge of that is that we kind of approach God in the beginning like we approach the government and our taxes. We're kind of like, God, I want to serve you. I definitely want to go to heaven. But uh, I really want enough left for me. It's true. It's how we approach God. We want enough left for whatever we want to do, the time we want for ourselves, the next Netflix binge, the next party, the next whatever. We want to just, we're okay with following God as long as there's some left for us. Okay? Now I'll come back to the problems with that and how it's fixed and easily fixed later. But I just want to point out that's one of the things that makes it hard is because we're trying to serve God in a way that's actually serving us. Does that make sense? So that's one issue. Then there's the issue of trying harder. So what happens, and if you read Romans chapter 7, I think Romans 7 is just the, the best book to capture the frustration of that initial Christian life where you're trying to serve God but you're trying to keep back enough for yourself and it's really frustrating. And you go to church and most churches give you the same answer that anybody else in the world would give you. They'd say, well, you just need to try harder. You need to go to church more. You need to serve more. You need to whatever. It all amounts to the same thing. Try harder, try harder, try harder. Now, some of you guys in your 20s and 30s, you might be like, yeah, try harder. But I'm, I'm like 48, knocking on the door of 50 and I'm just telling you, Try harder just makes you tired. You know, it's like, it's like trying to lose weight and so forth. 67% of the people who buy gym memberships never use them. 
67%. Hey, we're the majority. Yay for us. There's a new gym opening two blocks from my house. I'm like, every day I'm driving, I'm, I'm going to join that gym. And then they're going to move in the equipment that's going to ruin the whole illusion for me. I mean, right now, it looks like just couches and chairs. And I'm like, that's my kind of gym. <laughs> Try harder doesn't work, and guilt doesn't work either. I hate guilt. It's like I'm like this personal thing in my life to oppose guilt, especially in the church. The reason I hate guilt is because it doesn't work. It, it may create temporary workers, but it will not create long-term missional-minded people. And that's what the church is built on, is people who realize that we can't serve out of our own strength. We have to serve from God's strength. So guilt isn't actually that helpful. It condemns us. It doesn't empower us. So today I want to talk about how to move from, I call it like the firstborn faith, but that's just my term for it. That faith out of my strength, that living for God out of what I can do, how do I transform that in my life and actually make progress, actually move the ball down the field in my life, actually move up to the next level. How do I do that? So let's look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And this is one of my favorite texts. Now the NLT, it says this. Since... You've been raised to new life with Christ. Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but now it's time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Let me pause right here at the end of verse 9. It is many Christians, based on their past experience and how they've come to know God, tend to read the passage I just read and stop at verse 9 and heap on the guilt right there of all the things they need to do or stop doing. Okay? But I want you to know that this is in the middle of a paragraph. The thought that Paul's working on is not finished. Okay? He's laying a basis, which we'll look at in verses 1 through 4. And then he's, he's showing us the things that are in our lives that, don't, that are, they're dead now. We'll talk about that in a minute. But then he goes on in verse 10 to lay out for you hope. So verse 10. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, that's kind of me, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Paul shifts us from what I can do to what Christ has done. From the fact that I think I matter, and I do to God, but that Christ is more than matter in my life, okay? So I want to look through this text, and then I want to apply it. But first, let's learn. First, I want to show you that heavenly realities, heavenly realities have earthly implications. Now, this is powerful. 
Because I used to, there were times in my life I wondered, you know, is theology really that helpful in practical living? I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a pragmatist. I really like things to be practical and applicable. I mean, if you can talk about it on Sunday, but it doesn't work on the job on Monday, then I'm kind of like, ah, I don't know if I got any use for that, you know? Now, that's, that's not the absolute. There's so, many, so much theology that builds a practical life, but the simple truth is I like things to be applicable. And so Paul's teaching us here that there are heavenly realities in play that, that have earthly implications. So I want to look back at verse 2. Paul tells us in verse 2, he says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Verse 1, he tells us to, to look up. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. What's he trying to do? He's trying to change our perspective, okay? Most of us are living our lives from earth to heaven, and that's our challenge. What does that mean? Well, I'm looking at my problems, my, my, my difficulties, the money I need, the health problems I have, the, the situation with my boss at work, my marriage, my kids. I'm looking, I'm living my life with this horizontal view, like a, like a periscope above the waves, just looking around at what's going on. And I'm like freaked out because it's not going according to plan. Anybody else's life not going according to plan? This is not going, I married this woman, I thought she was going to serve me the rest of her life, that we had the same purpose in life as I, as I do, which is to love me unconditionally. You got that right, just me. Then like on the honeymoon, I realized she had needs too, and I'm like, there went that illusion. We'll talk about marriage in September, I'm really looking forward to it, but that's not for today. She's going to help me with it so I get it right. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Paul challenges that perspective of looking at my circumstances and then looking up to God for help. He's inviting me into the heavenlies. He's literally inviting me to the right hand of God where Jesus sits in the place of power in heaven, according to verse 1. And so that heavenly reality, that invitation, shifts my perspective. The basis for that shift is this, verse 3 and 4. You died to this life. Pause. Let that soak a minute. You died to this life. We need to wrap our heads around the implications of that sentence. Okay? You died to this life. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who's your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. What's Paul laying out? You're dead to this life. Your real life is in Christ. Christ is at the right hand of God, and when Christ comes back, you get credited for all the stuff he did. Does that sound like a good deal? That's a good, I would have said amen probably. I'd like, amen, or woo, or that's right. I'd have done something. So Paul teaches us those heaven realities have earthly implications, and he tries to move us into the heavenlies. Then one of those implications is that the old things are over. The end of old things in our life. There are consequences to being dead to sin. Have you thought about this? There are consequences, there are real life implications of being dead to sin. So Paul says in verse 5 of Colossians 3, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Put to death is a new living translation. And that's a pretty common translation of that phrase, which is a Greek word, nekru, something like that. My Greek's lousy, so if I said it wrong, I don't actually care. So uh, anyway, so it just... It's often translated to be put to death in that text. It's only used three times in the New Testament, and two other times it's translated as be dead. So what Paul is saying is, 
All these things, the, and he's, he's looking at base desires in the first verse 5, and he's going to look at the behaviors that are a product of those desires in verse 8. But those desires, sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, greed, those are natural desires. We learn those from the culture in which we live. That is natural for us before we meet Christ and even after we meet Christ because Christ saves us and moves us into a whole new perspective on life. But what we know is sexual immorality, evil desires, greed, and all those lust and all those things. That's what we know because that's what we were taught. Now Paul's saying, hey, that stuff is dead. So, verse 5, that stuff is dead. Verse 3, you're dead to that. Verse 5, so be dead. I think that, if you want to paraphrase this text, I think that's what Paul's saying. You died to this stuff, so be dead. Another translation translates it as deprive of power, to deprive those things of power. So when I read that, I'm thinking to myself, anybody else remember the Frankenstein monster? And you're saying, he brings up the weirdest things in church. <laughs> so Frankenstein assembles a body, and then he tries to give a dead body, a, a, a conglomeration of corpses, and then tries to give it life. And what does he do? He creates a monster. And that's exactly what we do. It's a perfect analogy of what happens when Christ comes. Let me tell you, evil desires, lust, all this, those are not fixable. That's what you need to, I can't just fix that. Christ nailed it to a cross to kill it, to end it. It's dead. So I need to stop thinking in the, along the lines of i got to overcome this stuff in my life. And I need to reconnect with the truth, which is simply this. Christ overcame that stuff. He nailed it to the cross. It's over. It's done. It's dead. And then I need to stop giving it power in my life. How do I give it power? You know, and I, this wasn't even part of the message, but this week God sent a friend to me, Dave Limmer, uh, just a last-minute thing. And he and I were talking about faith. And I realized, not even in regard to something specific he was saying, but it, it just dawned on me in that moment that we empower things in our life by faith, by believing in them. We believe that sexual immorality and all, evil desires and all this stuff will make us happy, and so we give them power in our lives. We have no idea what love, joy, peace, illness, goodness, faith, all those things are, forgiveness, we have no, and great gratitude. We have no idea what those are, so we don't even know how to give them power in their life. So we keep giving power to our own personal Frankenstein, and it creates a monster in our lives. That's why Paul says, hey, dude. I know Paul said, dude. It's in there somewhere. You're dead. Verse 3, so be dead. Verse 5. You're dead, so be dead. Reckon is dead. Account it as dead. Count it dead. Consider it as dead. So, that old life is over. Those old desires are ended. And so Paul goes on to verse 8, and he says, Now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Okay? By the way, I think this applies to Facebook too, but I'm just throwing it out there totally for free. All right? So all those, these are the behaviors that are connected to the desires in verse 5. Okay, so if your life is filled with lust, evil desires, greed, all that kind of stuff, it's going to produce anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language, desires, behaviors. Remember that because we're going to come back to it. The point is, though, when you come to Christ, this is all you know. Someone in your life taught you to get angry when certain things happened. Some of you had people in your life that taught you to get angry when everything, anything happened. 
okay? And so you struggle with anger. Or you might struggle with, with rage or malicious behavior, manipulating things in your life to your uh, advantage. Or slander. You know what slander is? It's to tell the truth with the intent to harm. Like this. Michael Longfellow is sober today. That's a true statement. But I just implied that he'd been into Lori's tequila. Sorry. That's an inside joke. I'm sorry. It's, it's something Michael said. And if you heard him do announcements, you know he gives us lots of material to work with. Sorry, man. Thank you, though. You made the sermon. I mean, there's that. All right. The point is we learn from other people to get angry at things, to, have, to express revenge, to re- that some things are not worthy of forgiveness, uh, that uh, we can gossip and slander people if they've done certain things to us. We've learned that. Where did we learn that that was okay behavior? Because we didn't learn it from Jesus, right? We, we didn't learn it from God. We learned it from somebody. And Paul's telling us that stuff is over. It's ended. Now, you you got to remember, you can never disconnect a text of the Bible from its setting, okay? In Colossians 3, 1 through 10 and through 15, we'll get to in just a minute, are nestled in the middle of this amazing book that's all about the sufficiency of Jesus or that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to transfer me from earth into heaven. He is enough to end The old and only things I know to produce something new. Now Paul introduces a new idea in verses 10 through 15. And that new idea is a practice of new things. Verse 10, he says, put on your new nature and be renewed. Put on your new nature and be renewed. And listen to this. I think this is a powerful phrase. It says, as you learn to know your creator and become like him. That phrase changed the way I read the Bible. Now, I've always had a, um, a routine of reading the Bible. I'd read at least five chapters a day or something. That's kind of my, my norm for years. But one day, I read this passage, and I realized I really need to get my head wrapped around Jesus continually. So I started that time. I read at least one chapter out of the Gospels six days a week, just out of the Gospels. I want to know about Jesus, what he did. I want to think about him and his behavior and his actions every day. Because you have the Gospels that show us Jesus' life, and then you have Acts that gives us a history of the church, but then you move into the the epistles, the letters, and they kind of interpret Jesus' actions. But I want firsthand info on Jesus, okay? Because I want to know my creator and become like him. This is important, guys, because so many theologians, teachers, and even just honest Bible students, we have a tendency to read the Bible and study it so deeply that we no longer believe what it plainly says, and we no longer live like Jesus plainly demonstrated. Okay? If we study, if we're so deep in God's word that we no longer look like Jesus, it's possible we're no longer in God's word. Amen, oh me. And so I don't want that to be the case in my life, and you don't either. So one of the reasons we struggle so much in this Christian life and looking and living like Jesus, Jesus kind of hints at it in Matthew 11, is just our basic ignorance of what he's really like. He says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, let me teach you. 
Let me teach you. Think about that. Jesus wants to teach you. Wrap your head around that. He wants to teach you that he is humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I love that verse. Anybody else love that verse? Rest. I read that word, I hear the word rest, and I'm just like, oh, I so need me some of that. Jesus is the good news, and he's a new way. And so that's what Paul breaks down. And I, I'll get into this, the rest of the text next week, but just real quickly, I want to point out, display the new desires and the new behaviors. In verse, starting in verse 12, we talk about love a lot, right? God loves us. Jesus' greatest command is to love God and love others. Well, if you look at verse 12, it says God chose you to be the holy people he loves. He picked you. You. That's kind of awesome. Then he says in verse 14, above, clothe yourselves with love. So there, Paul is echoing the greatest commandment, the loving God and loving others. Then he moves in verse 15 into peace. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. He goes on in verse 15, the latter part, he says, and always be thankful. He points at gratitude. And then in verse 16, he goes to the good news. Let the message about Christ, which is the good news, rule in your lives. So you see these, now, Paul, we're moved now. The old us, the evil desires, the lust, the greed, the idolatry, all those things, they're dead. And now alive in us is the, the love, peace, gratitude, and good news. Christians should be, I'm sorry, side run, here we go, a little rabbit trail. Christians should be people of the good news. How bad your day was does not win you a trophy. Did you know that? And if it did, you wouldn't want it, right? You had the worst day, here's a crappy trophy for a crappy day. Can I say that in church? Did. It's done. It's over. <clears throat> Going to get emails. All right. <clears throat> We need to move from those evil desires and lusts into true love and peace and gratitude and good news. And those produce new behaviors, and I want to read verse 12 to you. The new behaviors look like this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And I just want to say, and this isn't intended to be a bar, but I feel like I need to say it right now. If your Christianity doesn't look like that, it's not Christianity. Okay? It's supposed to look like that. Gentleness, kindness, that's what Jesus was. And I'd also throw in there, the, the wardrobe of the new you is way better than the wardrobe of the old you. Okay? That's better. Now, so there you go. I kind of broke down, really, Colossians 3, 1 through 15. What am I supposed to do with that? And that's where your study guide comes in handy. <clears throat> I've started just working on the application parts because I'm really wordy, I've learned. And uh, so I want to uh, try and make stuff fit in certain things. And so let's look at how do I apply this. First, we, we take step one, verses three, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and we start looking up for the answers in our life. That's your, your next point. We start looking up for the answers in our life. What do I mean by looking up? I already pointed out that our, one of the things that kills us or hurts us as believers is we're living from our circumstances to heaven. God, I need you to come down here and fix my problems. We need to flip that around. Rather than me asking God to come and fix my problems, I need to go up to God. How do I get there? You're already there. You're in Christ. You're already there at the right hand of the Father. You just need to acknowledge it. Faith empowers things. 
Rather than empower a zombie that's going to eat your life and be a monster, empower truth. The truth is I'm in Christ right now at the right hand of the Father. There's nothing I can do to earn that. It is a gift. It is a gift. Think about that for a second. Christianity is not, it's not, it, it produces things. I don't want to disregard the things that it produces. But Christianity is a, the ability to live from what you receive. And James says in James 1.17, he says every good gift, I'm sorry, let me do that in New Living. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God the Father. That's why the title of this message is Living from God. I want us to transition from living for God, which makes us basically dependent upon our own strength and finding what things to do that make God happy to living from God. What does that look like? Christians are to live responsibly, responsively to God. We are not to initiate with God. We're the bride of Christ. Jesus is the initiator. We respond to his love, to his gifts, to what we receive. Jesus was the perfect example of that. His whole life on earth, he lived as a receiver and lived in response to everything God was doing. He said, I, I don't work, the Father works. I don't do anything unless the Father's doing it. What's he telling us? I'm totally submitted to the Father. I do what God's doing. That is Christianity. It's living from heaven. So I need to look up to him from this earthly position and realize I'm not in this earthly position. I'm in a heavenly position. And I need to live my life from who God is, what God's doing in my life. What's that look like? Well, you do know God loves you, right? I know, I, I, it just, it sounds so remedial. I mean, you're like, yes, God loves me. I'm in church and that's what they say, God loves me. Oh my goodness, but God loves you, man. He loves you. Right now, he loves you. He even likes you. Weird, huh? I mean, all the married couples are in the room going, I don't know about liking people. He loves you. Right now in this room, he walks among us. He's in you. You're the temple of God. And he enjoys you. Some of you are sitting there going, well, but I have done some bad, naughty things, and I don't, I don't think, I think he's really disappointed at me right now. You know, he loves you, and he loves to forgive you. He loves to. It's, it's not like a, he's in there in heaven, and he's like, oh, you've been bad. And then when you say, like, God, I'm sorry, and you confess your sins, and he's not like, well, okay. You're forgiven, but I'm going to hold it over you for a little while. That's how it works in human relationships, but that's not how it works with God. He loves to forgive you. And I, I really think, you know, the Bible, I think God's like this divine forgetter. I don't think God's an idiot, obviously, but I, I just think you go to God and you say, God, I blew it. It was wrong, because that's what confession is. It comes with the Greek word homologeo. It just means to say the same thing. And you come before God and say, God, I blew it. It was wrong. I'm sorry. You're right. I'm wrong. I submit to you. That, that's repentance. That's confession, you know. And he forgives. And I think right then he's just like, you know, maybe he just raises it off the board, out of his memory, throws it away, you know. Some of you, like, are going to God every day over sins you committed years ago. Like, God, I'm so sorry I did that. And he's sitting there in heaven going, I don't know what they're talking about. I forgave them. 
Their sins are as far as the east is from the west. Here's the thing. I think most of you know that that's true, that God's love for you is true, his forgiveness for you is true. What if you lived your life in response to that rather than in response to all the memories of the bad things that you've done? See? What if I live like I'm forgiven rather than live like I have once messed up? Amen? That's a good word. God's good. So the Christian life is a constant response to who God is and what God's doing in life. Now, how does that translate, though, into that's kind of the vertical. Think about what it would look like if I received from God and that became my loving God and that translated into my loving you, loving each other. And so God pours this love into me and now that love comes through me and I start giving what I get. And this, my friends, is the power of serving God right here. Because a lot of times, uh, we're serving God out of what we've got. And we don't have much. So God has a way for us to live where we serve God and live for God and live from God out of what we get. I think the feeding of the 5,000 is the perfect picture of it. I think it's one of the reasons Jesus did it, was to teach us that our baskets are empty. We may have a lousy lunch, that we could share. Thank God that people are willing to share a lousy lunch. But our provision and what we give cannot come from our lousy lunch. It has to come from what God can do, from the miraculous. You know Jesus like created food that day, right? I mean, you don't just break up fish in small enough pieces to feed 5,000 people when you only have enough lunch for one person. Jesus did a creative act God did a creative act through Jesus Christ in that moment. God gave provision far beyond anything that was possible right there. What was Jesus doing? He was teaching us what it was like to live from what God gives rather than live from what we've got. Amen? Does that make sense? Is that resting in the place? This is what it means to start living vertically, to start looking up. About 11,000 people had a serious accident from walking and texting. I like to wa- I'd like to walk. It's my workout. Work up some. I sweat bad and people feel sorry for me, and that's the main thing I'm trying to get out of it. So, but I'll, I'll be walking up Grand Hill or walking down Grand Hill, you know, because I can't think of anything but trying not to die going up Grand Hill, if you know the hill I'm talking about. But when I'm coming down, I'm always watching people coming up the hill, and people are driving cars with their phone like this down here below the dash so the cops can't see it. And I don't know what's safer. I really wish they'd just let them talk on the phone. It would be safer. But they're driving up the hill looking at their phone, you know, and I'm like, hey, don't hit the big guy. It's crazy. London put, actually la- uh, wrapped their lampposts in padding to keep people from hurting themselves walking and texting. It's been outlawed in Hawaii and in New Jersey. 11,000 accidents a year. It's just crazy. But that's kind of how we live life, isn't it? I mean, we're kind of walking around looking at what we've got in our hands. And isn't that how we start our day? How am I going to get through this? This is why one of the most important Christian disciplines is to start your day looking up. To stop worrying about what you've got and start looking into what God can provide today. 
This is why, and God has orchestrated it so in his wisdom, that the more we look into what we have and try to meet our own needs by our own resources, the more we are going to run against our own inadequacy and the more we're going to encounter our own failings because God needs us to learn. We must have him, that we are not enough in ourselves. You can look inside all you want to, but if Jesus isn't there, you're going to come up empty. And so we got to start by looking up to him. The second thing we have to do is get rid of the old lifestyle. So I started this sermon saying the Christian life is hard. And so I want to say this. The Christian life is hard and easy. Now, some of you are sitting there going, oh, I can't wait to hear the easy part. (laughs) Well, let's look at a couple verses to to kind of show you there's a, a tension here in ideas that are key for us to understand as believers. So Hebrews 12, 14. The writer of Hebrews says, work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord, okay? This, I think, is a very important scripture for today. But nonetheless, do you hear that? It sounds hard. Work at living a holy life. Then let's look at Luke 13, 24. These are all on the screen, so you don't have to turn with me, but they're on the screen behind me. I hope I did that. But anyway, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom for many will try to enter but will fail, Matthew 7, 14, the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few will ever find it. So here are three scriptures that lay out for you that idea, yes, the Christian life is hard, but let's jump a ditch now. Because Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, that flips the hard Christian life on its head. And so he says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, whatever I am now, It's all because God poured his special favor on me. Pause just for a second. Poured his special favor. Does that sound like a stingy way to give somebody grace? Or does it sound like God is lavishing, ravishing Paul with special favor, or the word we call grace today? God poured out his special favor on me, and not without results. Now look how he ties these two ideas together. God's poured out special favor, grace, for I worked harder than any of the other apostles. Now we're back into work. God gave something, and Paul says, I worked really hard with what he gave me, but then look how he finishes it up. Yet it was not me. It was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. What's, What's Paul trying to teach us? Yes, the Christian life looks hard. But it's a product of grace. And God's favor given to us and given to others produces this life that becomes something. Paul says, whatever I am now. And whatever that is, is is easy because God's actually doing the work. God is empowering Paul. God is giving Paul the desire. God is giving Paul the hunger. So the Christian life is hard, but it's also easy. Now listen to what Jesus says. This is my, I just read part of it a while ago. It was one of my favorite texts, so I read it every chance I get. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Pause. Is that you? Weary and heavy burdens. Anybody else in the house? Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I'm humble and gentle in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. 
And the burden I give you is light. You see, you have the concept of a Christian life being difficult and following Christ as being easy held in tension. There's no balance there. The Word of God is not about balance. It's about paradox. You live when you die. It's easy when you, it's hard, or it's hard when it's easy. I'll explain in just a second. So I would suggest that based on what Paul's sharing about in Colossians 3, back, jump your brain back to Colossians 3, where he's talking about get rid of these things. I would suggest that Paul is saying, hey, this is the hard part. The hard part isn't doing and practicing. The hard part is letting go. It's letting go of everything I know and I'm comfortable with. My right to get angry because someone in my life taught me it was okay to be angry when these things happened. My right to be unforgiving because there are some things you just can't forgive. Thank God that didn't hold true for Jesus. You see? And so get the hard part is letting go of all the burdens, all the things I know, and moving into a state that I would call surrender. And I call it that not because I'm really smart and came up with that term myself. The Bible talks about it, but I, I got to really give credit to Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray has a sermon called Absolute Surrender that absolutely dissolved my heart on the issue. It's, a, it's like 150 years old. But it helped me see that the way to closeness with God is not trying, it's not pushing, it's not pressing, it's surrendering. And that's exactly what Jesus demonstrated every day. Isn't it? Every day, he woke up, spent time with his father, and surrendered his day. And lived his life in surrender. Even going to the cross. Especially in going to the cross. He surrendered everything. What was the fruit of that surrender? Eternal life for you and me. Eternal reign for him. Jesus entered into the ease of eternity, the, 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 the sovereignty of his power. Yes, it was hard, but it was simply a matter of letting go and surrendering to what God was doing in that moment. Jesus was living in response to his father. And that's what we do. Do we get rid of the old? And I think this is the hard part because we want our cake and eat it too. We want to deal with God. By the way, the cake's a nasty cake. Adam dropped it on the floor, got all filthy. You don't want that cake, all right? We got to stop looking at God saying, God, I, I, I want to I go to heaven. I want to live for you. I want to be holy. I want all those kind of things, but I want to save back for me. Um, I hesitate to use this illustration, but I'm going to do it. It's kind of like the tithe of the Old Testament and giving of the New Testament. Um, the tithe was this. Everything that I get in life, I, I give God at least... 10% of that. And I get to keep the 90%. That 10% was used to fund a temple and a priesthood. What happened to the temple and the priesthood? God ended it in Jesus Christ. There is no temple and priesthood. Um, people are, well, there are churches and all that kind of stuff. They're, they're not. One, they're not, Jude they're not Jewish in nature. But they are not funded, in a sense, by the tithe as the Old Testament required. What happened in the New Testament? Who's the temple now? And I know I just gave the answer in the question. We are. Jesus lives in us. We're the temple. 
What does that mean? And a lot of people would say, hey, the tithe is over. We don't have to give. Eh. <laughs> now, we are bought with a price. The tithe was about 10% of us. The grace is about all of us. That's the difference between Old Testament giving and New Testament giving. It's about living a life that's in response to God. Now, I'm not asking you to turn over your whole check to some giving opportunity. I'm telling you this. When you think about your life financially or in regard to your calendar or in regard to relationships, the number one question you need to be asking is this. Have I surrendered this to God? Is this God's checkbook? Is this God's house? Is this God's family? That's what surrender is. Because I'm not supporting a temple. I am a temple. I've been bought with a price. So the big step, the challenge for us is to let go. Then there's the exciting part. Then Paul tells us to put on the new in verses 10 and 11. I want to read you a quote by John Piper. I think that really captures this. Really helpful. I'm going to read a couple of his as we end this message. I got another five hours. <sighs> the way we kill sin... John Piper wrote this, and I think it's beautiful. The way we kill sin, the way we successfully strive and work to put sin to death is by doing whatever it takes to be more happy in Jesus, more restful in Jesus, more content and satisfied in Jesus than in sin. Wow. That nails it to the wall right there. So go ahead, man. I didn't even write that. That's John Piper. That's good. There are, um, there are studies I read several years ago about how the human brain works and how the subconscious mind works. Because your life, basically 90 to 95% of your life is not controlled by your conscious brain, but by your subconscious brain. And there were studies done several years ago that indicated that your subconscious brain cannot deal in a negative. So like you put a negative on something, your subconscious brain doesn't know what to do with it and ignores it. So for example... You know, you're trying to lose weight. I use that a lot because I'm always trying to lose weight. I've probably lost 1,000 pounds in my life and all my sense of humor at various points. But anyway, you know, so you're trying to lose weight or something like that. And so you tell yourself, don't eat cake or don't overeat. Well, your subconscious brain cannot compute don't. And so it picks up overeat. And that's why I look like this because my brain is like, find food for this man. He's hungry. So think about this. Here's God, and, and Paul typically does this. He gives us, he, he nails the negatives to the, to the wall, to the cross, says they're dead, and gives us a positive to live in. And the positive is to put on the new, put on the love, put on the peace, put on the gratitude, put on the gospel, the good news. Put that on. Stop being people of bad news and be people of the good news. Because we're made to live in a positive. That's how God created our brains. He didn't create us to avoid what was evil. He created us to pursue what was good. Does that make sense? And that's where, yeah, amen, good. Praise the Lord. So we've got to move forward into that. And that's what John Piper's pointing out to us, laying down for us, man. We've got to stop trying to avoid sin, beat sin. We need to be happy in Jesus, rested in Jesus, content, satisfied in Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews put it this way. Let's do our best to enter that rest. So there you have the, the, that paradox idea of working hard and resting. Do our best to enter that rest, for if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we'll fall. The verse before it sets it up this way. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. 
Okay, so put on the new life means pursuing that, going after Jesus Christ, learning how to be more satisfied in him. Now, if I could speak from a little experience here, I know how hard it is to beat things in my life. But I think this has helped me more than anything to rather than try and overcome my weaknesses, to pursue my strength, who is a person named Jesus. And I think that will help you in your walk to move from a life that knows defeat where you keep regretting what you're doing toward a life that begins to know real righteousness. Because I believe from the bottom of my heart that if you want to change the world and save lives and end some of the horrible things that are happening today, what we need is righteousness. People who do the right thing. I don't think you can make enough laws to help anymore. After all, there are enough laws on the books, I think. You know, if that would have worked, I really want to make a straw joke so bad, but I'm not going to do it. This, that was my straw joke right there. They're saying I'm, I'm avoiding a straw joke. I'm just saying we can make all these laws, but that's not the thing. We need people to be righteous. How are we going to be righteous? So let's apply this. Stop. Start looking up. No more looking down. This isn't about what I've got. Do you hear me? This isn't about what I've got. It's about what's available to me. And what's available to, me, available to me is absolutely infinite. There are no limits. There is no lack. This is what it means to think in abundance. It's to realize that God can provide. I can surrender all. I can surrender all and live in abundance. Or I can reserve my 90%, 95%, whatever, and live in poverty. The Christian life is that surrender. So stop looking into my own hands. Stop trying to bring the old life back to life. It's dead. It's over. You give it life, it's going to eat you alive. So let it go. Lust, self-worship, humanism, idolatry, greed, not working. Never going to work. So get rid of it. And all you have to do to get rid of it is stop giving it life. Stop believing that it will make you happy. It won't. So I'm a, I'm a TV guy. I like, I like to watch TV. So every now and then I'll do, I used to do Netflix binges, but I kind of got out of those. There would be some series. I would do that because I, I, need, I felt like I needed to escape. I needed to not think about things for a while. A lot of men do that. We, we need escape. Women can't do that. They don't have a nothing box to crawl into, so too bad for you. But guys can. We can do that. Here's what I found. Here's what I found. I could crawl into my escape, and when I came out, I would not feel rested. I would not feel better. I would not feel loved. I would not feel peace. In fact, just the opposite. I would feel stressed. I would feel angry. I would feel the fruits of the flesh instead of the fruits of the spirit. What's the problem? Well, the problem is I need to learn, and we need to learn, how to be more satisfied in Christ, how to be happier in Christ. So I've learned now that my superpower is worship, prayer, stillness, reflection, fellowship, and and. I know this is going to sound weird, but I'm actually an introvert. Okay, I don't, when it, and I like, he is so full of it. <laughs> the truth is, when I get done here today, and, and I love you, and God gives me a Holy Spirit love when, I, when, I, when we're here, especially on Sundays, but even during prayer and so forth. But when I'm done, the last hand, handshake, I, I will emotionally and mentally collapse and shut down. It happens to me every Sunday. And I just want, from that point, I want to crawl into a hole and not exist for a while. 
and it makes it worse. Because I'm trying to be happy and satisfied in me and not in him. Does that make sense? Get rid of the old. It's not working for you as well. I'm just pointing out, obviously, it isn't working or you'd be happier. You, you know, if you, don't th- if you think people are happy, they just take a drive through town and look at people as they drive their cars. They're ticked about something. <laughs> Thirdly, put on the new. Just continue to put on the new. What does that mean? It means more Jesus. You guys know the answer. When you know Jesus Christ, you know the answer in your life. So think about the answer and stop worrying about your problems. Because when you start thinking about the answer, there is a promise in your life. There's always a promise for you as God's child. And when you start thinking about Jesus as the answer, I got all these problems, but I'm just going to focus on my answer, which is Jesus Christ, then he's going to reveal to me promises. Promises apply to my problems. And if I start putting on the new, I start looking at my life as a series of promises to realize rather than a series of problems to overcome. Those promises will come. Then I'm just waiting to receive again. That's what makes the Christian life easy, guys. We're living in a state of receiving rather than trying and attempting. We are being blessed by God and his goodness rather than try and solve all our problems. So put on the new means finding Jesus the answer. It means more reflection, more word, more worship, more prayer, more praise, more rest. One more quote from John Piper. All striving, all working, all fighting is to rest, to be content, to be satisfied, to be happy in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I have so much to learn from this message. I know that's why you gave it to me, to help me understand and grow in what it means to rest. And Lord, I'm not good at not worrying. Um, You know me. I got to feel like in this room that I'm not alone. That there are a lot of people who struggle with anxiety who struggle in their relationship with God and their righteousness and who feel like this morning that they have failed. They sometimes wonder if God will ever get sick of them. They wonder if they're even doing the right things right now. And Lord, I just, as I come to you in this season of prayer to just to move us to a season of worship and a season where we can pray for people and release rest in their lives, and really surrender in their hearts. I I pray that you would drive home that amazing love and forgiveness and pleasure you have at your children, at us. Lord, I I just sense it right now that that there's that soul, or there's probably several out there right now who are just, they got no idea how you could love them. In fact, they feel like they're in trouble with you. And Lord, I, I just pray you help them that you would just, I just rebuke the, that spirit of um, burden, of care, that just always makes them feel like they're in trouble. Like that the next bad thing is just about to show up. Lord, I pray that you would move us out of the, that deadness, away from that monster. Move us into peace. Let us receive your love. 
and your patience and your goodness and your thanksgiving and your good news. Help us today, please. Would you stand with me?